Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I'm your host, Sojo, and in this season of the podcast, we're talking about what it means to be more human and lead humans in the tension. We're so excited for you to listen to this breakout by Trey McKnight at Orange Conference. Trey is a visionary leader, host, and communicator with a passion for life, for people, and for inspiring life change. Trey brings experience and insight from the public service industry, full-time ministry, corporate work, and nonprofit executive management, including time as a COO and camp director at Big Stuff Ministries. He is now the executive director at Staff Culture and Development at Orange. We can't wait for you to get to learn from him, so let's dive in. I sit in the seat of executive director of Staff Culture and Development, so I just want a disclaimer what I'm about to say right now to say this. I am in a learning game right now. I think we all are. We're all in a position where we're just trying to figure out how to navigate this thing moving forward. And I think that for the first time, a lot of us are thinking through as champions of culture, how can we be really, really intentional about the culture that we're creating? Yes, for those who are going to attend our churches, who are going to be a part of what we're doing, our volunteers and all that. But specifically, I wanna talk about what we can do and the habits that we can create that will move us toward great cultures within our teams, right? So within our teams, whether it's volunteer or it's on staff or whatever that looks like for you, wherever you came from. I will take a quick, quick poll. Do we have any exec pastors in here or, or lead pastors? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Uh, how many in, in kid ministry? All right, student ministry? Yeah, very cool, okay. So I'm just, I'm just, just, just curious because some of my content, I, I come from student ministry, so that's where my mind goes a lot of time but I try to think globally on all this. So a lot of content here. I'm gonna try to fly through it as best I can. So uh, everybody ready? We're gonna put on our seatbelts and we're we're gonna rock and roll. So six things we learn about all of this um, is first and foremost, we have to learn how to define the win, right? If you come from student world, you know this. What are the three things that we talk about in student world that all students want? It's identity, belonging, and purpose, right? Everything that we do generally comes back to kind of the three innate desires of what a student wants and needs in their lives. That's also true for adults. When you think about the volunteers that are going to be in your doors, when you think about the staff members that you're going to add to your team, every single one of us wants to be like in a position where our identity is served, our belonging is served, we belong to something, and our purpose is served, right? So we see this everywhere. Now, I don't know if you guys know this but you have just stepped into Titletown, okay? If I may, just for a second, I've lived in Atlanta since 1989, since I was eight years old. And just this past year, Georgia has stepped into elite status, right? We have the Georgia Bulldogs who won a national championship on January 10th. And just two short months before that, our Atlanta Braves won the World Series for the first time. Both of them really, really long time, right? We've stepped into this Titletown era and I felt every bit of it. I was, I was just as much in all the videos and all the things you see. Some of you are like, I don't care about sports. So you probably didn't see any of this. But those of you who saw it and you've seen it maybe with your fan bases, you've seen it with Alabama because they've won so many years in football. You know, you've seen it with these fan bases where people go hard in the paint after the things that they really love, the sports teams that they really care about. Why is that? It's because everybody wants to be a part of something right? Everybody wants to to belong to something. They see their identity in it. 
I wrote here, uh, for us, I saw a post on Instagram about how much this meant to both fan bases. People identify with it. We feel like we belong in the dog nation. The win was clearly defined. In their case, the win was to clearly win every game, go after the national championships. But the win was clearly defined. Go and win the national championship. Everybody knew what the objective was. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they were supposed to go after it. And it matters to people because it's part of our innate design with some, to be a part of something greater than ourselves. If we can't identify what's happening, if we can't identify with the purpose of what, what we're a part of, we're not going to stick around for very long. And so this is my first point right here. The best cultures are made where humans identify with the purpose of the ministry or the organization or the team or whatever you want to call it. As leaders, as influencers of the culture, as the champions of culture, as we'll call ourselves, we have to define the win over and over and over again. We have to have a target, right? Like you think about, we're got to be shooting for something. But what happens when we don't define the win clearly is we get more something more like this, where everybody who's involved has maybe a different target that they're shooting for. You have to know what you're aiming for. Now, some of us don't like shooting. I get that. You know, you don't like to deal with, with that kind of stuff. So let's think about the 30,000 foot view. Everybody probably has been in a plane. A lot of you flew on a plane to get here. When you look out your window, you see this wide, vast landscape, Right? You see the big picture. Those of you who sit in leadership positions, you see the big picture constantly. You have this vision, this 30,000 foot view. But what's happening in the flight deck? In the flight deck, can you imagine if you're on a plane, you're on your plane to Atlanta, you thought you were on your plane to Atlanta. The captain comes over and says, from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. Uh, We'd like to thank you for flying on our destination to wherever. That wouldn't be very settling, would it? Because you got on a plane knowing that the destination was clear. You knew where you wanted to go. You knew where you wanted to be. But if the captain, if the person leading the charge, if the champion of culture doesn't know where you're going, that's not a plane that I want to be on. So we have to be very, very specific about clarifying the win in everything that we do. So here's how we do it. In order to clarify the win, we should probably ask ourselves several questions. First and foremost, why are we investing our time, our effort, our resources et cetera, into this. Um, some of you have probably read Start With Why, uh, written by Simon Sinek. And if you go back and watch his TED talk that he did years and years and years ago, he talks about this entire idea. And he talks about how Apple does this really, really well, where most organizations, including ministry, will start with, well, this is what we do. But you need to start with why. You need to go back to the original purpose of what you're doing. You also need to ask yourself, who are we trying to reach? What are we trying to do? How are we going to get there? What path are we going to take? What methods are we going to employ to give us the best chance of winning? And how do we tangibly measure if we're winning? And you also need to pay attention to the people that you're serving. What do they care about? We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But these are just some questions that we need to be asking ourselves as we're trying to get down the path of clarifying the win. Also, I'll disclaimer this. Every single one of these steps is something that we could talk an entire breakout on. So I'm just kind of giving you, I know I said, don't do this. You got to like get specific. I'm giving you the 30,000 foot view of these, but these are all things that you can really dive harder in on. But those are just a few questions I would say. I would also say this side note, this needs to be unique to you. I used to work in this building right here, Gwinnett Church. This used to be my home. Um, We've moved up the road, so it's a little bit far for us to get here now. But I worked on staff here in students, Uh, wasn't in this building. This is a newer building since when I was here, but we were right next door. And one of the things that was really, really cool, this, is, this building is a part of North Point Ministries. And so we all had the same purpose, and it probably sounds like the same purpose that a lot of you have. Our purpose, and they've changed the wording a little bit, but the, the, the purpose at the time, the mission at the time, was to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That was the same at North Point. It was the same at Gwinnett. It was the same at Brownsbridge. It was the same at Woodstock. All of our campuses, we adopted the same mission, right? But the expression of that looked differently depending on which campus you're at, and this is why. If you go down the road to Alpharetta, Georgia, to North Point Community Church, the demographic looks way different there. And I'll just call it out. It's older, rich, white, or rich, white families. Right here in Gwinnett County, this is one of the most diverse counties in the country. So you have every single different walk that you can think of. If you think that leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ down there looks the exact same as it does here, we're missing something. So we've got to clearly define what that win is and make sure we get unique and specific about it based on the people that we're trying to serve. And that's why we have to ask ourselves these questions over and over and over again. Get specific, but keep it simple. Here's the second thing. Welcome conflict, support what wins. If you noticed, this game is all about me versus you, right? It's about you going against someone else. It's about you saying, hey, I'm going to step up to the plate and I may have an idea that may differ from your idea. And I want to push forward my idea with everything that I've got. And you're going to push forward with everything that you've got on your idea. And some way or another, one of those is going to win. Or maybe you have a third, or maybe you have a fourth, or maybe you have a fifth. There's going to be a lot of differing ideas that are going to be there, right? Now, it represents what a lot of us have seen in our ministries. Maybe you've seen it as lead pastor versus student pastor, right? Maybe you've seen it as Wednesday night prayer versus band practice. Who's going to get to use the space? Maybe you've seen it as Christmas tree decor versus the cross. Maybe you've seen it as executive pastor versus everybody. We need it. We need it. We're not spending that money, right? Um, I, we did a, an event. Uh, I say we, when I was big stuff a couple years ago, we did an event in a church that we were trying to do part of our, so we had, had already talked about in the contract, like we had the whole thing ready to go uh, in their space on a Sunday or Saturday night where they generally have an adult service. And at the last minute, they told us, hey, you've got to be out of here by X time. And so we're coming back and we're saying, well, in the contract who we dealt with this other person, you told us that it was okay for us to be in this space during this time. And they said, well, no, we can't do that because the, the adult service trumps everything. And we saw what the adult service was and, and it's not all about numbers. We'll talk about that in a minute too. But it was a lot less than what we were generally going to have because they were going to have about 200 in the room. We had like 600 kids there that weekend. And they wanted to kick us out and tell us we had to shorten our program because the adult service trumps everything. I know I may be ruffling a few feathers right now because maybe that's what you felt at your church. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that exact thing. And I'm not saying that that's wrong to say that, it's, that, that, that there holds importance, that there's an importance there. But I'm just saying, when it comes to this, we have to be in a situation where we recognize that people are gonna people. Anytime you get more than two people in a room, people are gonna people. Humans will human, and they're gonna do this every single day. And what I mean by people are going to people, I mean that everybody has desires, everybody has their agenda, everybody sees things a certain way through a certain lens that's probably going to be different than someone else in the room. So in that situation, conflict and disagreement are inevitable. They will happen. I was just sitting in this room just a few minutes ago, and Terry Scalzetti was, was so eloquently talking about how, how we deal with conflict. It's a topic that's come up a lot, I think, over this week as I've been sitting in different rooms and hearing different conversations that are happening. It's something that we're all dealing with, and it's because people are going to people. There's no way to get around it. 
So if we can't get around it, we're going to have to figure out ways to go through it, which means we need to be open and honest with each other. We need to be willing to welcome the conflict and be able to support what wins. And so that's what we've got to continue to pursue over and over and over. Here's what we know. The best cultures are made where humans are safe. They're safe to try. They're safe to fail. They're safe to use their voice and speak up. They're safe to have differing opinions. And what this really speaks to is psychological safety. And I don't know if anybody has done any studies on it or anything like that. It's a pretty interesting topic. Psychological safety is something that's highly, highly important when we're trying to build a great culture. Um, as a matter of fact, there is uh, somebody, Amy Edmondson is somebody who um, I've had the chance to work a little bit alongside at a couple of conferences and just really, really smart, has done a lot of work in psychological safety. And she says this right here. She says, psychological safety, the belief that one can speak up without risk of punishment or humiliation has been well-established as a critical driver of high-quality decision-making, healthy group dynamics and interpersonal relationships, greater innovation, and more effective execution in organizations. It's a powerful statement. Those things say to me, great culture. So if we create great psychological safety, it helps us move toward a great culture. So how do we do that? Here's how we keep it safe. We have to be selective about who's on the team. Every person who's on the team matters. Every person plays a role and is an integral part of the team. So we don't want wasted effort, right? And I can tell you this from my own mistakes over the years. All it takes is one toxic person, one toxic human, who maybe is the wrong person to be on the bus to completely annihilate trust, to completely annihilate every effort that you're putting forth and cause you and your team to have to do things and suffer through things that otherwise would not be present if that one person wasn't there. And here's the thing. If you're the one sitting in the seat and you're the leader and you sense that maybe there's something going on, just ask your team because I guarantee you they feel it more than you do. So you got to make sure that the right people, you have to be selective about the right people being on the bus. You got to tie each individual human to the win. Every person has to know without a doubt how their individual contribution affects the whole. Um, this kind of goes back to identifying with the purpose, right? If you want to be a part of something where they identify with the purpose of what you're doing, it encourages everybody involved to think globally instead of uh, siloed thinking. We have a tendency when we're in our teams and we're in our departments to be like, well, this is the most important thing. Kids, we say that this is the most important thing. Students, we say that this is the most important thing. Adult services, we say that this is the most important thing. And so you have these silos that are all working against each other. But if we can remember that every single person, every single individual, every single human has a specific tie to the greater purpose, then that means that every team has a specific assignment to the greater purpose. And now we can commingle. Now we can work together. Now we can recognize that just because something may not be a win for us doesn't mean that it's not a win for them, which would be a win for the whole, right? We want to support the win. We want to support what wins, even though we may disagree. We have to be available and responsive, and we have to be open to criticism. This is a hard one. Available and responsive can be pretty easy sometimes. Open to criticism, that one can be pretty difficult especially the higher you sit in the organization. Because humans are naturally critical, right? We have a tendency to lean toward criticism, but it's often not driven by their desire to be critical or just criticize. It's because there might be some sort of gap in understanding of what's happening potentially. And so as I've seen, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen, the second you close yourself off to anyone who appropriately challenges you in any way, you communicate, one, their thoughts aren't valid, two, their opinion doesn't matter, 
And three, this is not a safe place. And that's a recipe for disaster. So we've got to get in a, a habit of keeping it safe. The best cultures are made where humans are safe. Here's the third thing. We've got to celebrate humans big and loudly and often. This speaks to the belonging part. Identity, purpose, belonging, right? You've all heard before that everyone loves to hear their own name. But here's something that I love to say all the time. I don't think that I made this up. This is just kind of general knowledge, but like great organizations and teams and ministries are made up of great individuals. You don't have a great team without having great individuals. It's the idea of getting kind of to the lowest common denominator, right? If you've led a team before and you, you know, you've also heard the, the phrase, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Great teams that continue to elevate, that continue to produce, that continue to do amazing things, that continue to reach people for Christ, great teams are built on great individuals. And so we have to make sure that we're celebrating those individuals so that they continue to contribute everything that they do. Even you introverts, you want your efforts and your contribution to be recognized and appreciated, right? You may not want to be up here on stage. You may have hated. Some of you, when I said, hey, we're going to cheer your name, you're like, oh, no. I don't want that. Don't put me in front of people. Please don't let it be me. Like you're trying to sabotage, you know, like rock, paper, scissors. I'm going to do rock every time. So you do something that's going to be, do paper, please. You know, you don't want to be up here on stage. But even introverts, introvert, extrovert, no matter who you are, everybody wants to be appreciated for who you are, for the effort that you're putting in, for your contribution. And this tends to lead toward fulfilling the desire to belong. Um, it's a reminder that you're uniquely tied to the greater purpose, that you played a role and that you made a contribution to the greater good. So here's what we know. The best cultures are made where humans believe that they belong. That they belong to the larger, larger organization. That they fit in. They want to be where others know their name. You want to be in a place where others know your name, and they're always glad you came. Um, do you guys remember the first thing that I said to you when you walked in? Very first thing. What did I call you? Champions of culture, right? In that instant, I invited you into something without you even knowing it. It was intentional because all of you walked into this room hoping to gain something, hoping to get something from it, but I don't think that any of you would have said like, oh yeah, I belong to a certain body of people that just really cares about culture. There wasn't anything that was built there. But the minute that I said champions of culture, I started hearing, woo! Because in an instant, you felt like you belonged to something. You felt like we were a part of something. We didn't know what it was, and you didn't feel like maybe you were like, you'd like, you, like, like you were all, all in yet, you know? But I gave you permission to belong before you actually belonged. That's what we have to do constantly. That was a celebration of you when you first walked in the door. So that's something that we want to make sure that we do. And so here's how we do it. Text messages, phone calls. This is all stuff that you know, right? Phone calls. Texts are great, but phone calls, that's another step. Public platforms where we can celebrate people. Honorable mentions. Celebrate birthdays within your organization, within your teams. I know a lot of you probably do that. A lot of you probably don't. It means a lot. We, we do this at Orange um, for our staff meetings. We do two staff meetings every month. And every month we celebrate birthdays at every staff meeting. And so we'll do a drawing each one. We'll celebrate all the month's birthdays and we'll put them up on a screen and we ask them a question and they put like, this is my favorite flavor of cotton candy or something like that. Just so they get their name said and recognized on the screen. And then we do a drawing and out of that group of people, somebody gets like a DoorDash you know, gift card or something like that. I missed a name two weeks ago and we got an email about it. 
Somebody said it was, it was the person was upset because their name was not a part of the group. And then they told their direct report and then their direct report sent us an email telling us that, hey, you missed this person and why did you not include her? Oh, I felt terrible. I work with Deb. Deb is so, so sweet. And she's one of those people that just feels everything. She's like, I'm so sorry. You know, it's just like, I know. I, what are you going to do? You know? But people care about those things. Recognize birthdays. Recognize personal accomplishments. One of the coolest ways that you can do this is just about everybody's on social media. There's a lot of people that aren't. But if you just take time, schedule it in your day. If you're the team leader, if you're a part of the team at all, right, because you're a champion of culture, get on Instagram and just start looking at what the people who you work around are doing and the things that they're accomplishing. Because isn't this true? Even though it may be filtered, we put the things that we really care about on social media, don't we? And so if you pay attention to an accomplishment or something that's going on in your life, and then the next time you see them, you recognize it, or you say, hey, I noticed that you did such and such. That's really, really cool. Or, hey, let me ask you about that. That instantly elevates them and tells them that you're paying attention to what they're doing, and they can be celebrated in that. Make sure you're doing that. Have conversations, know your people. It's growing intimacy with your people that'll bring things worth celebrating to light because now you know what matters most to those that you serve with. This is how we make it personal. And we talk all the time at Orange about making it personal. Here's the next one, number four. Growth is more than numbers. Now put that emoji there because I know that we've, we've, we spend time talking about growth all the time. And so growth can be explosive. Has anybody experienced that ever? Maybe you experienced explosive growth at your church because you're getting something right. Maybe the timing is right. Maybe you're experiencing explosive growth within your team because now that we've had explosive growth in your church, we've got to continue to build. We need some people that can handle this because I'm just overwhelmed and I'm about to die if I don't get some help up in here, right? <laughs> Maybe we've experienced some of that, but that should be a red flag for you because when we experience growth, that's when the work starts. The last few years, I've had the privilege of leading several different teams, some of them that I've absolutely loved. The teams that I work with now, my most favorite teams. I love them, both at Big Stuff and at Orange. I've had other teams that I worked with in the past that were just, you know, they were just my team. <laughs> they weren't as fun. And I can tell you that anytime that I've made a hire or anytime that I've brought somebody on the team, it's like you have that moment of win, right? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm bringing this person on the team. I can't believe we got them. I knew we could, but there was still this doubt because they're just, they're a baller, right? Some of you have experienced that. I got this person on the team. I got this person to volunteer. They're going to be great for my kids. They're going to be great for my students, right? And then for me personally, I always immediately after that experience of elation, I suddenly feel stress because now I know I start to ask myself the question, well, what if, what if they don't like this? What if I let them down? What if I don't give them the tools that they need to keep them around? What if something that I promised them is now not true, and now I have to go back on my word? What if this is not a great experience for them? These are all the things that start to roll around in my head because I care as a champion of culture about making sure that every person that jumps on our team, every person that's going to serve with us is going to enjoy the experience. That's where I start to feel that. So growth in numbers is where the work begins. We know that landing someone great on the team is a good thing. Keeping them is better. And it starts with intentional relationships. This is, yet again, another element of the belonging need. Identity, purpose, and belonging. Best cultures are made where growth is based on the quality and intensity of relationships. Maybe this is the new marker for growth. Maybe, maybe the best cultures are not built on growth 
that is just the quantity of the participants or the levels of their production or how big our team is. Because it's a good thing to focus on growth. I mean, even Jesus said, like, abide in me and you, know, you will bear much fruit. Like, we want to grow, right? That's a good thing. But we have to focus on the right type of growth. And we have to make sure that we're not just growing for growing's sake. Numbers are great, but relationship death may be the new marker for growth. And we say this all the time, do for a few what you wish you could do for many. And this is the model that Jesus modeled for us, right? There were thousands that would come on the hillsides and that would follow him around and wanted to hear his teaching. And they would follow him everywhere he went, but he had his 12. He had his group that he focused on and he built intense, intentional relationships with each and every one of them. And I imagine they had great culture. Did they bicker sometimes? I'm sure they did. Did they fight sometimes? Absolutely. Conflict was inevitable, right? People are going to people. Disciples are going to disciple. But at the end of the day, that was his crew. That was his team. Those were the ones that he built relationships with, and that's why they were so devastated when he left. Relationships have to be in place. I don't know if you know Springtide Research, uh, but they're an organization that is doing amazing work in researching just the state of religion, the state of Christianity, the state of everything dealing with students, generally from the ages of 13 to 25, so into early adulthood. And they said this, um, and I I think I have it on here. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if I can read that from here. (laughs) They said, when we asked young people about their experience one year into the pandemic, only 10% of young people ages 13 to 25 told us that a faith leader reached out to them personally during the year. 10% was it. Then they also said this, of the young people who identified as very religious, less than half, only 40% of them, told us that they found connecting with their faith community helpful during challenging or uncertain times. This is students who are saying this, 13 to 25. They're basically telling us, hey, I don't have a relationship with my religious leader. I don't have a relationship with my church leaders. And my guess is that adults feel all of this too. So it's so important for us to think about growth, but think about it from the standpoint that the growth is going to be based on the intensity of our relationships. I was a firefighter for 10 years, years and years ago. And still to this day, it's been 19 years since I started, still to this day, we went through four months of just intense training. And we saw the worst of each other. We saw the best of each other. We would chant together, oh, three dash one, right? It's 2003. We were the first class in 2003, oh, three dash one. We just, you know, but we rallied around each other, the 16 of us that graduated that year. And still to this day, I'm still in contact with some of those people. And still to this day, I can post something on Instagram about my firefighting days and one of them will pop up and just simply put O3 and then I have to respond with dash one. I haven't seen any of them in 10 years since I left the fire department. But we still have that bond. We still have that connection. We had a great culture because we had been through some stuff together. We'd seen each other at best and worst and we had walked through it together and we said, you know what? I've got your back no matter what. And guess what? That matters when we would go into a fire. Because if I know that that guy or that girl has my back, based off of the experiences that we've had before, based off the times that we've disagreed and we've talked through things, we've had to figure things out and we fought and we've been mad at each other, but then we eventually began to support what won. When it came to the intense situation, the life or death situation, I knew that he or she was going to have my back and vice versa. Guess what? When we deal with ministry, everything we do is a life and death situation. So we've got to know that the people that we work with in the ministries and our teams, that they're going to have our back and that we're going to have theirs. That's when we can start to do some really, really cool things. It's all about the trust that we build in the intensity of our relationships. That's true growth. So a culture of intentional relationships looks like this. 
We've got to have systems in place to build relationships as the leader, as the champion of culture. Begin to build some systems, automate some systems where you are intentionally building relationships with those that you serve with and those that you lead. You also need to make sure you help others involved to foster and grow relationships with those around them. Systems are what you need. And we could talk more about systems later. We're learning a lot about that now. I don't have time to go through them all right now, but that's something that's highly, highly important there. We also need to create relationship building opportunities. You can do staff and volunteer outings. You can leverage times when your crew is all together. So um, one of the things that we did at Orange during our staff meetings, we used to do everything in rows, kind of like you guys are sitting right now. We changed it up one day. We just said, hey, let's do some round tables. We started doing round tables and suddenly our staff meetings that went from people would walk in and not say a word and it'd be like crickets and we'd have to like suffer through an hour to an hour and a half of a staff meeting. Now people are talking and now more people are showing up because we don't require it for them to be there, especially through a pandemic. But everybody's like, I want to be a part of that because now they're building relationships. Now they're having to face each other and we're having to look each other in the eye and start to go through some things. So when you leverage those opportunities, you will instantly start to see things elevate when it comes to relationships that you're trying to grow. It's all about trust. Number five is this, communication is critical. And we all know this. Everybody knows this, but here's the thing. We don't do it well. The further you are away from the fire, AKA the center of what's happening in your purpose, the harder it is to know where we're going, which is why communication is absolutely critical. This is about alignment. It's about aligning your leaders. What we know about humans is that they'll tend to fill the gaps of things that they don't know, which means that our purpose and the way we get there is in jeopardy if everyone has their own version of what we're trying to do. So we should leave no gaps. There will always be a ton of noise around us. So we constantly have to fight for the attention of everybody involved. We've all heard the statement, leaders are repeaters. As the leader, as the champion of culture, and when I say leader, I just wanna make sure everybody knows this. I recognize that not everybody is in a leadership position, Some of us are here and we're a volunteer and we're just trying to learn how to do ministry better. But you each have influence. Every single one of you has influence with at least one other person when you say, hey, I want to serve in this way. So that makes you a leader. And if you care about culture, that makes you a champion of culture. So if you're sitting in this seat, then we're going to have to constantly fight for the attention of those that we're leading as champions of culture. And here's what we know. The best cultures are made where key information gaps don't exist for anyone on the team. I almost worded this differently. I almost worded this to say the best cultures are made where key information gaps are minimal. And I said, no, that's too soft. Now recognize when I say it this way, that's a really strong statement because this is hard to achieve because the bigger and bigger you get, there will be gaps, but this is a goal to shoot for. This is something to reach for and to strive for and something that can take years to develop. But if you can get really, really close to this and make sure that everybody's communicated with well, you'll start to see the the level of the culture elevate. So here are the steps of how we get there. Effective communication tips. Communicate the good often. Communicate the bad, because there will be bad sometimes, quickly and openly. You need to have regular feedback loops in place. You need to give those that you lead and those that you work with permission and the ability to give you feedback as the leader or as the influencer, as the champion of culture. Because if you don't take feedback, if you turn a blind eye to it, if you close off your ears to any kind of feedback, even if it's critical, now we're, we're taking steps backward. And then you want to have some common language that's involved, key phrases and common language. When I was working here, 
um, is Gwinnett Church Inside Out. We shortened that to GCIO. The lead pastor here, Reed Moore, was the Inside Out director, so he was my boss at the time. And he just said, hey, I want to take the team. It was all of us that were working here at the time on our, on our Inside Out team. And he said, I want to take the team, and we're just going to spend some time dreaming about some common language that we can use that elevates purpose for each person that serves with us. And so we took what we were doing and we said, hey, it's not just, oh, the worship leaders are going to get on stage. We started saying, Joe Pannoni's sitting back here. He knows what I'm about to say. We started saying, the songs we sing affect the lives we live. Isn't that so much more powerful than just, oh, we're going to play some songs? The songs we sing affect the lives we live. Instead of saying, hey, I need to bring my volunteers in to serve some food to our kids so that they have a meal, we started saying, I'm producing opportunities for conversations to happen over food right? Like it's so much more purposeful to create this common language than now everybody can start. And as a leader, you're going to have to repeat it. You're going to say it once or twice and it's not going to catch on. But the more you say it over and over and over and over again, and then you finally start to hear somebody else say it back to you, you're like, yes, now we're getting there. Because now that's a champion of culture too. And they may not even know it. But it just becomes this contagious thing that we start to grow and we start to build. And now it starts to spread and it's an exponential growth of that, right? What starts in one place, just like we saw the teams grow, starts in one place as a little rumble. But before you know it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm up here trying to yell over you guys and none of you are hearing me because what you've got going out there is so powerful and so strong. So that's what we've got to shoot for. This is the last one. Fun never hurts unless it's absent. And I think this one's pretty self-explanatory. Fun never hurts. This is what we know. The best cultures are made where there's fun, period. So enjoy yourself. Even through the difficult times, we've got to have fun. And once again, and I said this earlier, this is one of those places where you and I, as a champion of culture, who don't know everything about this, who don't always feel like doing this, have to make it personal. We have to make it personal when it comes to creating a great culture because every single person is an owner. Fun is contagious, but it's got to be intentional. And it has to start with you, the champion of culture, no matter where you sit in the organization. If you're sitting at the top, if you're the exec pastor, if you're the lead pastor, if you're somebody who has a lot of power and influence in the organization, it absolutely matters to you. But I will tell you this, if you're somebody who just started yesterday, you're new to ministry, you have fresh eyes. And you're there, so at least in part, you care about the mission, you care about the purpose because somebody told you about it before you got there. So you wanna offer something, something about what they're doing is close to your identity, you identify with it, and you're hoping that you can belong. And so you have a lot of power and a lot of influence in what happens moving forward but it's got to start with each and every one of us. This is not by any means an exhaustive list of things that is gonna be required of us in order to create great cultures in our teams, in our communities, in our churches, in our staffs, wherever we serve. It's not an exhaustive list, but this is a growing list. And this is one of the things that if we can really lock arms together and continue to learn from each other and continue to get feedback and do all of these things plus we'll start to see our culture elevate. We'll start to see people coming in even more and giving to the purpose of what we're doing, which as we all agree, 
We want to we want to share Jesus with the world, right? We want to share Jesus with kids and with students and with with our communities. It's going to take us owning every piece of it and making it super super personal with each and every one of these steps. We want to thank Trey for sharing how we can champion healthy team cultures. If you like this episode, we'd also love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love this review by E Swan. They said, "This is so fun. I've enjoyed each episode so far and have been learning a lot. Also super entertaining. Well done, guys. Thanks for the review." We'd love for you to join us at Orange Tour to continue learning what it means to lead humans. Go to orangetour.org to save your seat for our one-day training event for leaders and volunteers in a city near you. We'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast.